0: And welcome to Radio Drama Revival, a show dedicated to stories told to the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here are your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories, and I'm your host, Fred. Uh, well, we have left the land of dreams and mystery in New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, to let Jack Flanders wander the world in its many mysteries, but today we instead have the enormous pleasure to speak with the creator of this long-standing series, Tom Lopez of the ZBS Foundation. In a story too amazing and strange to relate here in an introduction, the man's gone from the early days working for Yoko Ono and KPFA in Berkeley to founding a commune and from it creating enormously popular radio series like Jack Flanders and Ruby, dramas that continue on to this day. All along the way, he's expanded consciousness through audio and traveled a good portion of the world. But before we get into all that, we're going to enjoy a few bite-sized chunks of audio drama, pieces from Lopez's new two-minute film noir. Uh, He talks about that in a little bit more depth in the actual uh, interview today. But uh, these are just short-themed pieces uh, from the days of film noir damsels and detectives and uh, uh, and black-and-white smoke-filled rooms, uh, that sort of thing. Hope you enjoy a couple snippets of this, and then we'll get to Tom. It was in Paris. In one of those retro noirish
1: cafes, the sort of place that's always dark, even in daylight. It's the sort of place you'd expect to find Hemingway or Fitzgerald or maybe Gertrude Stein and Alice B. huddled together at the next table. It's the sort of place where American expatriates hung out back in the 1920s and 30s. When you walk down the steps into Chez Tootsie, it was like stepping into a time warp. Bonjour. <laughs> Bonjour. What's that? I light. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, Zippo. Are you Tootsie? No, 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 no. I'm Claudette. I'm pretty. Mm, American. That's right. After that, I spent a lot of time at Shade Tootsie. I felt I fit right in with its Bohemian clientele. But it was Claudette I wanted to see. I asked her out. She said no. Finally, I told her, I've fallen in love with you. I know, Freddy. Will you go away with me? I cannot, Freddy. Why not? We're from the different times. What do you mean? I don't know. I have to go back to the States. Why? Business. When you come back? You bet I will. When? In a few weeks. Do not stay long. I won't, I promise. write we'll to me, Freddy. I will. Send to me a care of So a few weeks in the States turned into months. First, I wrote almost every day, then every week, then less as time went by. Claudette never wrote back. For some reason, I didn't expect she would. Then one day, my letter was returned, no such address. And then another came back, and another. I caught the next flight to Paris. I couldn't find the cafe, I couldn't find the street. People told me there never was a Chez Tootsie. On my last night in Paris, I went to see a movie. It was an old black-and-white film from the 30s. I was tired, I was dozing off when I heard... I opened my eyes. It was her. There she was, on the screen. And there was the cafe. And there was an American. And they fell in love. It was then I realized that I'd been playing his part.
2: You know how guys get turned on watching a woman undress? Yeah? Like when she starts removing her panties. (laughs) You mean in the movies? No, I mean like watching your girlfriend. I like that. I dated a woman who didn't wear panties. No panties? If she was wearing a short dress, she did. Too bad. But that was rare. Short shorts? No, she wore jeans, slacks, or long dresses. And underneath, no panties? She said she didn't like the lines they made. Panty lines? She hated elastic lines. She liked it smooth. But when she undressed? No panties. Nothing to slip off? No panties. So there was no getting off, watching her take them off? Well, all I had to do was think, she's not wearing panties. And it turned me on. Every time? All the time day and night wow whatever happened to her i married her your wife doesn't wear panties wait a second i never knew your wife didn't forget wear it i said forget your it. your wife is really attractive oh man, oh, man oh, i man. said forget it
1: i won't give it another thought okay you
0: lucky bastard And as I said, those were a couple chunks of two-minute film noir. And moving on now to uh, our interview with Tom Lopez. Hope you enjoy his thoughts as much as I did. Tom Lopez of ZBS, uh, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, and uh, f- as I mentioned, you're one of the very few people that we could actually call a name uh, when it comes to radio drama that uh, people who may not just be enthusiasts have heard of. Um, and you've got obviously a huge catalog, um, some really great stories. But in, in case those there are people out there who haven't heard of you or are unfamiliar with your work, can you just uh, the, the I guess the the truncated version introduce uh, us to yourself and the ZBS Foundation?
3: Well, um, started we, we formed uh, CBS in 1970, and then uh, in 72 I did a first um, radio series called The Fourth Tower of Inverness, and. Uh, and and then usually every year or two um, thereafter continue doing, um, you know, radio theater or audio theater or audio drama, as we call it now, because it exists in other places other than radio, and um, and have been producing stories that are often set in different countries, because I like to travel and, and record and... Um, Actually, the second series was something called Moon Over Morocco, and went to Morocco and um, traveled around and gathered sounds. And while I was traveling, I started writing the story, sort of with the idea of using the sounds as um, uh, essentially sounds that uh, you know, to me, had character that was not easy to find on sound effects records. And so, um, so the sounds. Sort of had character in the same way one approaches characters, and uh, meaning that very rich kind of environments that you don't really have to say much about, but it sets the um, the feeling and and the uh, sort of pain, helps paint the picture of what's going on in people's minds without uh, using words to describe it. And uh, the call to prayer, you know. Caged parrots uh, in, yeah. in a, you know, in a courtyard, and and so on and so forth, and and the um, the marketplace, the Medina, you know, yeah. and all all of these things that, and through films and things like that that people have seen, they sort of uh, you don't really have to say anything about it. People already uh, have uh, have the experience of it.
0: Okay, so you you don't get too many weird looks when you're in uh, these exotic countries with your uh, microphone equipment?
3: Well, yeah, um it's become so that I mean, in certain countries, they like India, they gather around you and they look around looking for the camera, <laughs> you <Yeah, laughs> know? It's, yeah. it's you either television or film <laughs> or something and and uh so sometimes uh it, it's gotten so that uh i I'm a lot more sneaky now. I have some very small microphones that are called trans they're they're really lab mics, but they're very uh, sophisticated you know mm-hmm. that you you would normally use for lab interviews and they're about the size of your little fingernail and uh and so a couple of these on the uh small bag carrying the the digital recorder, no one even knows it's there and so you can sort of uh um, go, go anywhere you want, you know, cafes and, and out in the street and so on and so forth. Nobody even knows you're recording. And, uh, you know, it's kind of stealth recording, but it's, it's, a, I'm not recording any personal, you know, conversations. I wouldn't know what to do with them anyway. Uh, it's really wanting to get ambiences and things like that without anyone, you know, being, being self-conscious that, uh, I'll, you know, person's recording or something like that.
0: Right. I, I almost, I wonder if they act for the microphone like people are known to act for the camera. Uh,
3: well, sometimes, you know, like in Morocco, you know, kids would come up and yell on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And things like, I mean, not very often, They were they were generally okay, yeah. but... But, uh, but that happens, you know, kids loving to show off, and they see the mic, and so
0: sure. they scream into it. Great. And now are your stories directly influenced by your travels, or does the, the stories generate from uh, some other source?
3: Well, some, some of course, uh, do, do a series of uh, stories called Ruby, and that's science fiction, and so I can't really travel there. Yeah, In that yeah. case, I have to use purely my own imagination yeah, and yeah. come up with the ideas.
0: Okay so that's obviously uh you know one of the very distinctive things and I think what makes uh you know especially the Jack Flanders um such so exciting to listen to because not only is it uh you know an exciting and interesting story but um you know all those those exotic locations uh, certainly um add a lot to it and uh, so how did you, you know I, you're one of the people who have been able to get um you know some amount of success both uh I I was reading that Ruby was on some like 600 stations uh, back um when when you had a bit of a boom how how has um first off how did you get started on the radio and how have you sustained it over the years
3: well it um it started way back uh, in the early sixties when I, when I lived in berkeley and I uh, started with a, a station there called k p f a uh, pacifica station and it 's known as being a bit of, still is a bit radical station but um but i that's that's really what triggered it, and then later i left uh in the uh, mid sixties for london and uh met Yoko Ono this was before this was the year before she met John and I left right at the time that she met John she was married to someone uh someone else at the time and i did, uh, did a did a documentary I was doing a lot of documentaries then and uh uh, on on performance that she was doing and she liked it and uh asked me to be be her sound man. So we, we traveled around like to Greece and other places and uh and I did some sounds for some of her films, some which didn't get made because the uh film was lost. <laughs> wow. uh, but um um and and then and then ended up at a radio station in uh in Philadelphia after that, after I, I, I left London. And um, and I would write little things, you know, for uh, um, for a show while I was doing a two-hour show on, on Sunday evenings, as well as I was doing other documentaries and things like that for the station. So, um, and then decided that it would be really nice to get into commercial radio and uh, just to experience that and also learn how to do commercials and things like that. And so, I got a station, I got a job at a station in... Uh, Montreal and uh, was there for, you know, some months. And, uh, and then eventually we put together CBS and ended up here. And then I uh, started writing, you know, uh, radio drama. Because mm-hmm. I just sort of, I I've always, I started in the 60s doing some shows, you know, some radio drama shows. And, and I just liked the idea. I felt that there was the medium because of, uh, the technology advancing, meaning portable equipment and that sort of thing, meant that you could, if need be, you could do it actually the whole thing yourself. All right, the way it went.
0: Well, and that's certainly, I guess, probably you know, especially more true now than even when you were starting it. Um, and but but over the time, you know, you mentioned commercial radio. Um, how has uh, how have you observed commercial radio change since um, the 70s?
3: No, I'm not too sure because I don't really listen to commercial radio <laughs> okay. anymore. And, um But what I did learn out of it was the particularly writing commercials was. Uh, I, I love the idea of um, being able to tell a, sh- a story in a very short time, and um, and I have a great respect for people that do that. It, it's uh, it's kind of like at its best, it's like Zen writing, meaning you you you. <clears throat> You don't have a word there that is not needed right and um and out of this came the thought that what would happen if you removed the product you know so you didn't what was' it promoting a product which which generally speaking is it's usually something no one needs and, and most of the cases is probably bad for you anyway <laughs> right. uh, but I was fascinated, and that idea took me years to figure out how the heck to. Do a series that is, you know, you could come up with an idea here and there. And so that it's not the same as, I mean, doing mock commercials is a lot of fun and, you know, that sort of thing. But I'm just talking about the form itself. And uh, so I did a series called uh, 90 Second Cell Phone Chill and Theater. Yes. And and the idea was to use kind of the horror movies, you know, only in a. Oofy or kind of funny way, yeah. and do these as as very short, like ninety second things. And generally, they were all with people talking on cell phones. Mm. <laughs> and the nice thing about the cell phones is it gives the mobility. You can have somebody in a crypt or in a or in a coffin, you know, yep. Yep. or any, or any number of places in a in an old castle, and somebody else somewhere else. And uh, meaning, there's a great mobility with with uh, cell phones. And then um, recently I just finished a series called Two Minute Film Noir, which, uh, actually NPR has been playing some on a series, uh daytime show called Day to Day. And, it, and it's about two minutes, and it's based on film noir, uh, which everyone know, you know, the old black and white, uh, um, stories and using some of the gangster characters and that, that kind of thing. And, uh... And it's it's a great deal of fun to tell a story that's completely, you know, self-contained within a two-minute period. And, and, um, and it's that discipline I learned doing commercials that you can do it and be very relaxed about it. There's no hurry. You can really, uh, you know, think within that time. And, in fact, when you do commercials, which are 30 seconds or maybe 60 seconds, you know, I used to think, Oh boy! If I had 90 seconds, I could conquer the world. You <laughs> know, so because then it that you could stretch out. I mean, you can bore people to death in 90 seconds. You know, and and I discovered something, which is that if you really like speed things up, that that is, you know, you jam a lot in that time because you say, oh, I've only got 90 seconds or something. Then it seems that every your time speeds up and and means it, then it seems very short but if you sort of settle back, lay back, take your time, the time seems to stretch. You know, it's a very strange illusion that that uh, that we have about time, which which we know varies and even though it can be precise clock time, um, psych- psychologically the time can change considerably.
0: Oh, that's that's really fascinating, especially since um you know, earlier you're talking about uh, you know Ruby and a Moon over Morocco and and, and Jack Flanders. Some of those stories were um, quite you know uh, quite long and and they you know stretched on. And I, I guess originally those were um, episodes. People would hear them episodically on the radio.
3: Yeah, like the Fourth Tower and Moon over Morocco came as the daily. I mean, with Fourth Tower it's about seven minutes a day, and then and then for the weekend the uh, it was edited together so that was five days, which we came out to about half an hour. When Mono, Mono Morocco, I went to about 15-minute dailies, and then um, and then they were like one hours when they were put together. But but they, they were long uh, because it went on daily, 65 episodes for the fourth tower, so it was uh, about uh, six and a half hours. And uh, and Moon Morocco is 10 hours long. It's one story that goes on for you know essentially it's like a, they're like novels.
0: Yeah. And uh, do you think any of your uh, short stuff will, will uh, revisit that serial? Um, you know, obviously the, the two-minute film noir and the the chillin' theater both had sort of a theme, um, but do you think you might use uh, some recurrent characters, things like that?
3: Well, yeah, d- definitely. It's it's uh, It lends itself to that kind of thing. I, I mean, I like the idea of, well, Ruby is an example of something that was three minutes a day, okay? And that was done in the... Uh, um, early seventies mm-hmm. and the stations would play this uh, I, I call it drive time radio drama and stations would play it in the morning and afternoon often and uh, that's the one that we did the distribution and because we would require stations to send in an affidavit card so that's how come we knew how many stations that we did actually get oh, okay. over 600, 600 stations and it wasn't just a figure that was pulled out of the hat but back then we were getting funding as well as stations were playing. Uh, um, you know, we're very open to playing uh, a lot of radio drama. What uh, what eventually happened is that in uh, oh, say more like the uh, uh, the 80s. Actually, did I say 70s for Ruby? That was actually right around 81. But some somewhere in the mid or mid to later 80s, the uh, the audience research people you know, the numbers people came into public radio, okay, non-commercial radio. And they've always been around in commercial radio. <clears throat> but they came in and they started showing figures and saying, you know, that this is news, documentary, news information. This is where the listeners, you know, where mm-hmm. your listeners are. and <clears throat> And cultural programming, classical music, radio, drama, blah, 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 this is, notice the way the listenership goes, boop, down, okay? Uh, I can't argue that that wasn't true. Um, and they they essentially convinced stations that, um, and, and that particularly national public radio, uh, that, you know, this, this this is, if you want to get more listeners, which is necessary to survive, then this is what you need to do. And so people weren't aware, but cultural programming got pushed out the back door on National Public Radio, and uh, and it became essentially news and information. And they um, they did they do a very good job of it. But uh, I decided that it's time that you know radio drama or audio drama gets back on radio again. And one way of doing it is to create something that can fit in a magazine show mm-hmm. along with these short documentaries. Sure. And there's no reason why why it can't. And so that's that's why I've decided to do something like the two-minute film log, just okay. to see if I can get it back on radio again. So we will be distributing it to other stations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, right now, as I said, NPR has been playing a few of them, and uh, but we will be giving it to us. A, a lot of other stations.
0: Okay, yeah, and another, another thing that I can't help but think about is it's just like a comic strips. Uh, was that at all um, that format um, cross your mind when you were coming up with all this?
3: Um, well, no, it's just my the way I see life. You know? <laughs> sure, sure. It, 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 I do feel like a comic strip. Yeah, so. yeah, oh, yeah. I, so and it just uh, sort of comes out of me that way.
0: You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair enough.
3: I, I really, I, I, I've tried to do things that are serious, and I mm-hmm. can't. You know, sure. it's just not that much fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Plus uh, there are other people that are much better at doing serious things
0: than I am. Oh no, yeah. And I, I was just thinking of the idea that you have got three frames and a couple of you know characters or a theme, and how do you make that into a story? Um, every week in the the paper but they they do a good job at it Um, yeah
3: well there's one thing i discovered that um um in in particularly with the the first with the 92nd thing because there's 50 stories of the 92nd um cell phone chill in theater and and also with two-minute film noir, there's 50 stories and you know it's it's like how the heck can you come up with enough ideas (laughs) i mean for 50 stories right of each um, but, what I discovered was to come up with the titles first and so I would come up with all these strange titles and uh, and then uh, i 'd wake up in the morning and i 'd look at my list of titles and um, and something would catch me, and I would watch this sort of come out of me, you know meaning that uh, that we all have uh, a great deal of uh, Sort of past life experience, in a sense, with, with all the films that we've seen—horror films and so on—and certainly the, the film noir, you know, the gangsters, the detectives, the, all that. We we have we've accumulated a lot of uh, of that those cultures, and and uh, and it just sort of comes out of you when uh, when you have something that triggers it, and and in this case, by coming up with titles, I probably have. I think close to I don't know two hundred and fifty titles of uh of the various film laws that you know, and out of that you know i have come up with fifty and now I've even coming up with more uh stories, and they just sort of come out of me i and it's very strange to look at these mm. things and say, Wow, look at that!s't that, Isn't that <laughs> odd <laughs> oh, I would never think of that, you know but yeah. it but it's the titles that draw it out of me,
0: oh, fascinating uh and, and so you know uh there's jack flanders uh you know the fourth tower had a lot of um you know mysticism a, a lot of uh, kind of experiences um uh, ruby uh was very much a you know a, a much more science fiction uh work and, and now your, your current pieces you know are featuring cell phones and and all that H- how much do you think that the uh the history or the culture or, or of the times around you affect um, the stories that you write when the-
3: Stories were written, or right, just,
0: yeah, just what's going on in the world? How how heavily does that weigh on you as a writer?
3: Well, well, it it does. I mean, I I did a I I did a CD of um, the the Android Sisters are two women that that do speak songs uh, in uh, in Ruby and they talk kind of songs, and I, and I did something which was satirical um, uh, called. Uh, Whole no punches uh, on uh, and I'm not going to go into this by the way on the Bush administration <laughs> okay, okay. and during you know j- shortly before that second election and uh, and it was a way of my blowing off steam mm-hmm. uh, but um, so in that case it was very much affected by the time the earliest things definitely came out of the experiences of of the 60s and uh, and the the just that that culture which opened up her mysticism certainly buddhism uh sufism zen uh, the, the 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 eastern mysticism that came, that sort of was re- recognized and acknowledged in, in in the 60s and has extended on um th- that certainly has had its influence and in, in very much so in the in, in the jack flanders Stories so the sometimes the times um do affect things, and sometimes they don't. I happen to live in the in the country, so i I'm really kind of if i don't you know if i don't pay attention to if I decide not to watch the news which I'm going through a period <laughs> of now sure. um you know then then i I feel a lot happier uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> otherwise you know i want to comment on it and and in a sense i really can't do that because then the material dates very quickly if i was doing a live show <clears throat> that's one thing you know where you you can comment but but when um but when you're doing something that is a story that's going to be several months before maybe even a year before people actually hear it and may take that long to produce it then um then you know you have to sort of Step back and and not do you know a social commentary except except for things that uh, you know are ongoing like perhaps the the devastation in the Amazon or something like that that's an ongoing process
0: and uh, sort of in tandem to that um, you know for example Jack Flanders um, you've seen him um, through a lot of your works for a long period of time Um, do you think uh, how has that character uh, changed over the years. Is is it sort of a, a James Bond, always always the same intrepid adventurer? Do you, do you feel that he's a uh, sort of evolved a little bit after all his uh, different uh, varying adventures?
3: Well, the actor uh, Robert Lark, who, who plays Jack, uh, he, I know a few some years back, he just said, you know, Jack's got to learn from his mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, he was always getting into the you know, he, he was just he's. A, Sort of person that's kind of lucky. Some mm. people are like that; they can go through all kinds of things and they sort of pop up okay. Yeah. And uh, but but you know, considering the the maybe stupidity, uh, but but the foolishness, the naivety, uh, had to I've, I've sort of had to drop that away to make the uh, Robert who does Jack a little happier. And so Jack's become not exactly a mentor, but somebody who's um, able to instead of constantly reacting to what happens to him he's able to make things happen Mm. to some extent himself so he has some he has some control over his life which he never had in the
0: beginning Uh, and and how do you come up with the uh, various locations that you is is it just you, you personally want to travel somewhere or you, you, you happen to travel somewhere or or do you actually um, look at a globe and say you know what I think uh, I think we're going to go here next? It's
3: a combination of all that. It's like uh, mm-hmm. wanting to go to Bali and say you know I I wanted to go to Bali and to, and um, wanting to go to Brazil for that and I remember somebody said why Brazil and I said because they have good sounds <laughs> and yeah. and so um so a lot of it has to do with wanting to go to places that where the sounds are interesting and mm-hmm. I I mean it can be it can be somewhere like Montreal or Quebec because mm-hmm. even though it, what you're getting is traffic and voices the voices are going to be French, generally, with a little English scattered in and so on, but also um, the, the the culture is very rich. I mean, uh, the, good history in Montreal and, and Quebec City. Um, but other places, Sumatra, I thought that would be great to go to, and it was. Um, it was safer then, in fact, to travel <laughs> than it is now in cer- certain um uh, certain of these places and sure. there's places that I still want to go to like Argentina and uh, I just have an interest in not only seeing it but also some great music there and I think uh, there'd probably be some good sounds. Yeah. So even even when you're in cities, sometimes you just are sitting in a cafe and the music that you know is playing and I'm sneakily recording, mm-hmm. which is all legal by the way because it's okay to use it if it's ambience so it's not like playing a record you can actually use it and and use it as part of the story you don't have to worry about the rights of it so So that's where i gather a great deal of my music is spending hanging out in cafes and things like that Um, so um... yeah so it's, it's so even places where essentially you step outside and you're going to get be getting you know traffic i mean which which is it varies i mean you, you get i was just in the dominican republic and and there there's a lot of little motorbikes, lots of motorbikes you know uh and uh so in that case the traffic the sound of the traffic is is a bit different but but of course in spanish and you know all being spoken and so on so so it's very uh you know you you just try to find uh to try to find things that that if If it's interesting, you get an interesting cafe then the thing then the fun is writing uh scenes that take place in that particular cafe and there's just a certain quality about it that that I think sounds um a little different and sometimes quite different than what one can get off a sound effects record, even though the sound effects libraries now have become much more sophisticated and there is some great material that one can get from uh, sound
0: effects libraries. And now, uh, you know, I, I've, you had this really nice field guide, uh, field recording that was in the uh, National Audio Theater Festival's uh, notebook. and In that were a couple of uh, really interesting stories uh, during uh, your various travels. Uh, would you care to relate any uh, rather uh, distinctive or uh, really quite memorable experiences you had while traveling the world with your audio equipment? Well,
3: I've almost been killed several times. <laughs> and, uh, you know, even though I'm 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 ge- I'm generally not foolish. I, I mean, I don't you know deliberately take chances. But I I was in India. I had been to India as part of a little group of some people from National Public Radio and stuff. And uh, and then I was able to get some money to go back and and record. I wanted to do a series, which ended up being called the Taj Express, uh, a series that set in in India. Various locations in India, and they were adaptations of, of Asian Indian short stories. And uh, and I was in Delhi, and I arrived, um, and it was just, it was like the day after the American embassy in uh, Pakistan had been burned down, or or something, uh-huh. and set fire to. So, it, so they had um, Indian soldiers in front of. Anything that was American, like, like IBM building and so on, and I happened to be wandering in the suburbs and I was recording some uh, uh, parakeets. Actually, they, they, it was in the afternoon and and, and they were in big swarms as they were, you know, very lively. And and I was following them and I had two shotgun mics. Now shotgun mics are rather long; they were a couple of feet long, right? And even though they had uh they do look a bit like weapons. Oh, <laughs> and I and here was the suburbs, uh and it was quite a nice suburb that as, as it turned out, it was probably where there were diplomats living, I suspect, because I came around the corner, there were two Indian soldiers standing in front of this house which had a hedge and so on. And their weapons were leaning against the the, uh, the gate or the wall. And here I am, I swing around and I and I'm pointing my um <laughs> my uh my microphones which uh and they leaped for the weapons and and you know i did and the thing you do is just freeze right mm-hmm. which which is what I did, and they slowly called me over and which I had across the street and uh, and then I like very slowly opened up in this case it was a real to real tape machine mm-hmm. and uh and you know pointed out they, they could see that the that they weren't just weapons, they had cords that went into the tape sheet. And when I, when they saw the real they just started laughing. They yeah. just, you know, and I figured in Hindi they were probably saying, well, we almost shot this, this idiot tourist. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that's the thing that one always says is, uh, you know, tourists, tourists. This happened in Greece. I was there yeah. reporting that was with Yoko, and that was like, a month after there was a coup in Greece, and we were in a little island off Turkey called kiosk and I, and I was wandering uh, I had heard some interesting goats or something, and I wandered down this driveway well, it turned over it was a villa a whole complex taken over by the military apparently and uh, and there, you know and i saw I saw the jeeps in the military, and I said, Whoa,' and I started back out, and then a guard came. He yelled, you know, and he's pointing, again, his weapon at me. And uh, slowly I come to him, and I'm saying, tourists, tourists, you know. But I've got my microphone, and so, you know, I point to it like, you know, tourists, and and then I'll point to, like, birds or something like that. Well, my hair was kind of longish, and only in the sense that it was, like, touching my ears or something. And he points at me, and he says, (laughs) beetles? You know, and... and i, I laugh when I say London because I'd been living in London at that time, and then he started even though he couldn't speak English, he started singing a hard day's a hard day's night in, um, in in English you know <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. and uh, and then he starts laughing and I'm laughing and you know and uh, and he waves me goodbye you know this sort of thing oh, wow. and so yeah things things happen um that just sort of, you know, because it, you're you're looking kind of strange, and uh, and you wander into the wrong place at the wrong time, and then the thing, thing to do is, as, as I said, is just freeze, right. not do anything, and keep saying tourist, tourist. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, you look uh, kind and innocent enough to uh, not attract too much more attention to yourself. Yeah,
3: yeah. You want to put out nice vibes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so it's it's been quite quite a career you've had um looking back at it uh, or or looking at the, the current state um how do you think audio drama has changed as a, as an art form has it grown healthier um as of late has it only seen a demise or or what do you think about things in general
3: well i think it's it's the wonderful thing is there are people that are still doing it and uh, <clears throat> I was in in Oslo in February. I was invited to the European Broadcasting Union has, and they have had for a number of years now, uh, a, a, an audio drama workshop. And <clears throat> there were uh, there were people from the BBC and uh, oh gosh, you know every uh, all these different countries, even Russia. You know, uh, all these different european countries and I, I got a chance to play some of the film and a lot of things, which uh went over very well uh the short piece and uh I'm talking about i this and i'll get to trying to answer your question but <laughs> sure. on the one hand, they too are feeling uh, the pressure of the changing uh, <clears throat> the changing atmosphere that is that is their there's some, like in Germany, they're still very well funded, and uh, and and in Norway and and I think Finland and Sweden, the BBC certainly they're still doing a lot of radio drama. Um, in Ireland, they're, it's somewhat less, but still they're they're doing pretty good. But what what is happening is that they they are also on other platforms. That is, they they they're providing some of them CDs certainly. Uh, Podcasting you know on the internet they're they're providing it so so that's why they, they stopped or they're stopping calling it radio drama and they now call it audio drama because radio is one of only a number of platforms where it exists so so there is a, a fair amount being done in the u s but but you're just not hearing it on the radio anymore or very little on the radio and uh but you can find it sometimes um scattered around with podcasting and and other things like we provide and there's other people that do too downloads so people can download into their iPods and then listen to it whenever you know whenever they want to. And that's certainly a, a benefit because one of the drawbacks and, and why the ratings are so small, um I mean one of the reasons anyway in terms of radio, is because people would tune into radio drama, and they may or may not, you know, it may take a, a number of minutes, uh, because they're probably not catching it in the very beginning, to figure out what the heck is going on. And they probably aren't going to give it the time, and they just move on to something else. Comparing that with the news, well, with the news, a matter of seconds, you know, or maybe a minute at the most, you pretty much, you, you can pick up what's going on, and, and you're right there, and with radio drama, that's not it, unless, of course, it's very very short things, and that's not a problem, so it, it, um, I, I can see it having some comeback in a short form for, you know, for radio, as well as stations that that still want to play half-hours or one-hours and, and that sort of thing. Um, but but since at this point of the game in terms of the majority of stations that is usually national public radio affiliates, you know, um, I, I tend to think it, it's probably going to take some interesting short form to sort of get it back into um, the consciousness again, public consciousness. Uh, so no, it 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 does exist. the The problem is without the a, a large audience, there's not the funding. You know, so so without uh, money, it's, it makes it difficult for most people to produce it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and do you think that uh, f- you know if if we keep on trucking and, and keep putting out podcasts and uh, attracting sort of a grassroots audience, that there may be a point where it reaches a, a critical mass or gets some sort of commercial viability?
3: Commercial? You, you talk, you're talking about commercial radio or commercial or public? Is still well, talking about well, public well, radio.
0: funding? <laughs> you know whether that's you know direct sales like audio books or um, you know interest from audio publishers or perhaps radio, perhaps you know internet publishing, whatever. Um, you know, whatever format, you know, media form is there, but in general the idea that it may become, if not mainstream, um, something that can support uh, some sort of core contingent of people or some sort of uh, funding for at least a few productions each year?
3: It's possible. I really, I honestly don't know. I, uh, you know, it's it, it's really hard to say. I, I I can't, I'm terrible about predicting the future. But... <laughs> Fair enough. But so's just about everybody else. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm amazed that it it still exists. Mm -hmm. Frankly, I mean, I I thought it would have been swept aside totally because if you don't have money to produce it, then Mm -hmm. how are you going to do it? In our case, we were able to develop a mailing list over you know the years that we were on a lot of stations, and and so. and so we, and we're a not-for-profit organization, so we do fundraisers, and, and people do give us money, and um, and then we also sell, you know, downloads, and we sell CDs, and so on and so forth. So we've been able to continue pro- producing that way, but the sad thing is that there are younger people that, that I think would have, you know, found the medium or, uh, more interesting that... Probably never will, but they in turn may be doing some things for uh, YouTube or who knows what, you know. So, right. meaning that they they may well be getting into the more visual, uh, you know, um, video mediums, That's since people <laughs> do things with just shoot things with their cell phones. So, um, yeah. Yeah. But but there, there can be a hybrid that will happen too. That that is a combination of visual as well as audio that, um, you know, it's, it still may be, in a sense, audio drama, it's got some pictures to it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Possible. Huh. And, and, and uh, you know, you are a, a big regular at the uh, National Audio Theater Festivals, their um, weekly thing that they have every June. Um, as a short plug for it, I went last year and loved it, and I, I'm going to encourage everyone heavily to go to it um, who, who is interested in audio drama, and, and more than just a, a passing interest, and I'm sure through that you meet a lot of aspiring writers, producers, voice actors. Uh, what what kind of advice do you have uh, for those people?
3: Well, the thing, particularly, I mean, if someone's a writer, I tell them become a writer producer because you're probably not going to be able to find someone, or you know, it's darn hard to find somebody to produce it. But you can produce it. You don't have to direct it. You know, if you don't, you don't have the if you don't have the um, if you feel you don't have the experience that, that you can direct actors as as a writer, but but writers need to hear their things done. And, uh, and the thing is that it can be done, when you're first starting out, you can do it for essentially just about nothing. And the technology is such that with digital recording, you know, that you can turn off something that is incredibly uh, professional sounding. And you can you can edit now on a Mac and you know, and there's garage and there's all this there's, there's all this amazingly sophisticated and, and really rather professional tools at your fingertips. And also in terms of actors, if you look around, um, there's there's uh you know, small theater groups and sometimes some of these actors, some of the older ones, are are remarkably um experienced with years of acting experience sometimes they they even come off broadway and they and they're liable to have uh... retired you know right nearby uh, meaning there there's a lot of talent out there that is willing to do it for nothing because radio if you you offer them the opportunity to do radio and they'll leap for it obviously if you continue to do it then you then you have to pay them in our case we started off by by giving them a percentage of whatever we made, and now of course I pay them. Yeah. But uh, meaning, you know, you, you can you can do things for very little. And the thing is, if you're an artist, you know, what, whatever in what whatever whatever form it is, as a writer, as a producer, as as actor who's also a writer, um, then you really need to not use the excuse of oh I don't have any money, I can't get a grant. Well, forget it. Do it, you know. I mean, it's really not a difficult thing to do at all, and it's great fun to do. and, and it's like a party, you know. <laughs> when when you get the actors together, especially people you you know at, over time that you've worked with, um, they you know it, it's it's a, it's like a great get together of a of, of a lot of, of a lot of old friends. And uh, so yeah, so the thing thing to do is if you want to do something, do it.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll um, continue looking forward to all the stuff you produce. Um, ZBS Foundation is, of course, at zbs.org. You can't go wrong with anything um, in that catalog. Uh, So much to listen to, as well as podcasts. Um, The two-minute film Noir, of course, uh, just came out, as well as all the stories of Jack Flanders, Ruby, and uh, a whole bunch of more different categories, humor, sci-fi, mystery, uh, the stuff he did with the binaural. Uh, microphones. I mean, just a a whole a whole uh, uh, epic of of uh, audio. So uh, check out zbs.org and uh, uh, Tom. Thanks again so much for being on the show. Okay, it was fun. And that was the illustrious Tom Lopez at www.zbs.org, a uh, founder of the ZBS foundation uh, and that place has got so much great audio um he does of course charge for it pretty reasonable sums but you can also get to uh, meatballs podcast uh meatballs meatballs i think is a uh, something like that is the name of the podcast as well as uh, some snippets of uh, film noir they were reprodu- uh, republishing uh, ruby 2 recently so uh, they do have some free nuggets there and everything you pay for trust me is worth it and i uh, hope you hear more of his stuff and I definitely look forward to hearing more of his stuff uh, from the film noir to uh, some more Jack Flanders of course and uh, Ruby the wonderful stories we've heard uh, all these years Uh, coming up uh, on Radio Drama Revival we'll be having the weeks of wireless stories from the wireless radio theater company in the UK we'll have them back for a few weeks then uh, interview their artistic director, Marielle Temple. And, of course, as we move from spring into summer, I can't even believe it's happened so quickly, uh, we will be having much, much more original audio, as well as final rune at the end of the summer. I should have something from that. Uh, and tons, tons more audio, tons new people to talk to. If you can't wait for those more stories, recall you can always catch up on previous episodes at the podcast and blog, radiodramarevival.com and read more audio theater news, reviews, and discussion there. Check out Chris Duker's great uh, reviews of modern audio theater work. Subscribe to the weekly show, or find us on iTunes. Search for Radio Drama Revival. That wraps it up for this week. Uh, Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great week.